Fresh out of college, Anya Fernald spent years traveling around Europe studying how to help artisanal cheesemakers better market their cheeses. Now, she learned a lot about business, but she also learned a lot about cooking from the farm wives who, working with only a few tools and ingredients that were close at hand, regularly turned out dynamite meals. It's those lessons that she writes about in her new book, Home Cooked, Essential Recipes for a New Way to Cook. Splendid Table contributor Russ Parsons brings us the story. Anya, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. Hi, Russ. Thanks for having me. Um, you came to your approach to food in kind of an unusual way, didn't you? Instead of working at restaurants or going to cooking schools the way so many people do now, uh, how did you learn how to cook? Well, I did have a very early start in restaurants, Russ, and quickly decided it wasn't for me. Just the the hours, frankly, and kind of the beating that was involved in it wasn't what I wanted to do, and I didn't think that culinary school was going to be a lot better. So I moved to Europe in the late 90s and got a fellowship to study artisan cheesemaking in southern Europe and northern Africa. And I did that for a year. And from there, I was hired to do a rural development project for the EU, working with small cheesemakers in southeastern Sicily. And I learned a lot through cheesemaking about the quality of ingredients and how they affect food. But I learned more from working in dairies and visiting many, many small farms in southern Europe and just learning how farm wives cooked and tasting this simple, essential food that was really transformative for my palate and inspired me to learn to cook in a different way. You know, so many cooks today seem to have kind of an equipment fetish. You know, they fill their cabinets with gadgets. But the country cooks that you learned from, they often had only the most basic utensils. What do you consider to be the essential equipment in a kitchen? I'd say a grater, a good knife, and a mortar and pestle. I remember having an amazing lunch on one of my early you know, stints in working some dairy in Tuscany and going into the kitchen to talk to the woman who'd made it and just seeing that she'd made this entire lunch with a grater and a fork. And it was kind of revelatory for me coming from the U.S. and growing up in the peninsula where people have these sort of, I think of them as like mausoleum kitchens where a lot of it's never touched, but it's beautiful, decorative, you know, lots of stone and fancy things. And I I was just blown away that one of the best things I'd ever eaten was literally a fork to form the pasta and a spoon to make the dough. And and a grater, which is what they use a lot for processing onions and tomatoes. So I try to, my selective force for gadgets is if it only does one thing, I really don't want to buy it. My exceptions are things like the the coffee grinder, stuff like that. But in general, I'm trying to look for things that are multi-purpose, and I really stay away from gadgets. The only thing that plugs in that I use regularly in my kitchen is a Vitamix. At one point in the book, you talk about uh, avoiding shortcuts in cooking and, and even favoring what you call long cuts. Um, can you give us an example of some of kind of the fundamental long cuts that you use and that you, that you always have on hand? One basic is sofrito, which is a cooked down mix of carrots, onions, and celery. And that's the base of Mediterranean cooking. It has a different name in every country. It's mirepoix in France. It's sofrito, spelled different in Spain. I don't know what it's called in Greece, but it exists there. And I uh, learned to make that in a prepared way in Italy, which was just to cook it down for three hours and then blend it and put it in ice cube trays. I do the same thing with reduced cubes of broth. And those are, you know, it takes three hours on a Sunday to make that, but you make it once every six months and then you can add this rich, lustrous umami finish to things very easily. 
So those kind of long cuts, my sense is that I'm investing time so that later on when I'm entertaining, I can do it graciously and easily make food taste delicious, but I can still hang out with my guests or with my family, which is really the point of cooking after all. Uh, Your parties are really well known for so much good food, and yet it all, like for a guest, it all seems to come together really, really effortlessly. Uh, What are your rules for throwing a good party? To, to take care of yourself. So think about the dishes that you execute comfortably, but also do things that you can prepare beforehand. And it's about using high quality ingredients. And I think that's my big secret in entertaining. When people often ask me like, oh, this is so basic. I make this all the time, but it doesn't taste as good as when you make it. And it's usually a combination of using things like broth, um, using sofrito, using these enriching, deeper flavor bases adds a lot to very simple dishes. Also, of course, using you know, good quality butter, good quality meat, all those bases there, you know, because you can just finish with a dollop of butter and, it, and if it's a really delicious, you know, fermented great butter, you can add a ton of richness and flavor that, you know, there's no other way to replicate that. And you frankly don't have to spend a lot of time on it. So quality ingredients, thinking about what you can do well and what you can execute and remain relaxed and happy. One thing like that, one trick that I learned was to batch my cocktails because I found that I was getting stressed out in a party when I was mixing a round of drink and you have 10 guests. And by the time you've made everybody their drink and got all your garnishes and stuff, everybody wants a second one. And hey, you don't have a drink in your hand at that point. And you're just spending your first two hours of the party mixing people drinks. So I found out a couple of drinks that just hold well. So things like vermouth cocktails, um, boulevardiers, old fashions actually hold well. And I make a batch of eight or 16 of them in a big mason jar and then just pour them over ice and add your orange peel to the end. Um, But you can also make a base of a thing like a vermouth cocktail. If you want a lighter drink, you can finish it with champagne or finish it with sparkling water. And so having that made the day before, two days before, not going to go bad. You put it in the fridge. It's nice and chilled. And you take away that stress of having to mix drinks at the last minute for people. What about the structure of the menu for those parties? I always do one starchy thing, two or three vegetables, and one meaty thing. So for crowd cooking or just for a dinner party, I usually do things like a spatchcock chicken cut up and covered with lemon slices and parsley on the table. It's delicious and people can all grab at it. But that one meaty dish, make it something that you can make easily and that you don't have to be fussing over the stove at the last minute. You can do all of that on the grill as well. Chicken holds beautifully on the grill, lamb racks, um, even a roast. You know, some of the best top round or eye of round roast that I've ever had or chuck roast have been done on the grill. It takes two or three hours, but it's spectacular. And let's choose options that if you cook them 10 minutes too little or 10 minutes too much, the whole thing's not going to fall apart. Not like if you're cooking, say, a filet mignon or a ribeye, where if it's overcooked, it's really a bummer. The chicken can be a little overcooked and you can sauce it with a little more olive oil or add a couple extra pats of butter to it and nobody's going to notice. So I try to opt for those things. And then I usually make two or three vegetables, usually all prepared beforehand. Um, Things like I have a great recipe that's a party favorite for me for the summertime, which is pickled fried zucchini, something I learned in northern Italy, which is just deep fried slices of zucchini packed in vinegar in a light brine. And it lasts for actually up to a week. And it's a great side for a party because it's a beautiful, fancy looking salad, but you can make it the day beforehand. Um, And I also love things like a pot of white beans cooked in broth and finished with sofrito, something a little richer and heavier, especially in the wintertime. Um, Also, things like braised fennel are, are real favorites for me. For starters, I rely a lot on things like pickled eggs, um, cut in half, you know, pickle them in beets. They look spectacular and cool. You can make it beforehand. And I love doing things with anchovies for starters. I find that anchovies really wet the palate that go so well with meats. The meat starters that I typically do are things like sliced salami or um, fried mortadella sandwiches. Occasionally, I love to whip out chicken hearts fried in butter. They're really succulent. They're really cool looking. People are surprised by them. They typically don't cook them, and they, they're they just very delicious, especially if you're doing poultry as a main. That's great. 
Um, or things like pâtés are easy to whip out and hold well as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Anya, thank you so much for having time with us. It was a pleasure, Russ. Always great to talk. Anya Fernald is the author of Home Cooked, Essential Recipes for a New Way to Cook, and CEO and co-founder of Belcampo, Inc. Now, Russ Parsons is a longtime food writer and author of the classic How to Pick a Peach. Anya shares her approach to entertaining and her recipe for torta di verdure, that's a greens pie, and it's going to have people begging for the recipe. You're going to find them both at splendidtable.org. <laughs>